Everybody, this is Clint Latham, and you would have known more about him by now, but um, we're just going to <laughs> we're gonna have to wing it. Randy ruined it. Randy? <laughs> Told you we'd get you today. <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome again. Um, we have, um, next to me here is a guy named Clint, Clint Latham, and we, uh, we've been doing the last few weeks telling stories. And we tell stories about uh, what God's doing with people um, in their lives, and uh, we call it When We Met. And so this is Clint. He's a friend of ours. Uh, many of you know him. Some of you don't. And one of the things I want to, uh, just a little background on this guy. Um, you okay with the background? Sure. Yeah. I'll, give him, I'll give him the background. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, one of my favorite people. Clint here is a, uh, an IT guy. Some of you guys can relate to IT people. Um, and, and, and here's the other thing. He's also got a law degree. So you just throw those together and it's just real trouble. Uh, IT guy, law degree. He loves uh, cycling of any kind, road, mountain, fat bike. Uh, pretty, pretty into coffee, yeah. aren't you, actually? Yeah. Um, actually, he's so into coffee, he's kind of this entrepreneur. I have got your little your thing here. Um, right. Clint put together this great idea. Um, if you're into uh, mountain biking and, and all that good stuff, and lattes, um, they put together a bike a latte. And uh, yeah. it's this little, little coffee shooter, you know? You don't have to mountain bike, though, to drink this, right? No, no. But I like the shameless self-promotion. Yeah, maybe. you like that? Yeah. Uh, I'll take 5%. Five, 5%, five <laughs> yeah, yeah. is that okay? Yeah, we'll figure it out. Eric, is that good? No, yeah, okay. So, um, actually, I think I'm going to swig this right now just right. to get in the mood. But we, uh, we just want to tell you a little bit about Clint's story. And Clint grew up where, you, you know, Cold Creek Canyon, pretty independent. You know, you, obviously, you've got a family and all that stuff, but you grew up pretty independent. And there was no real belief, religious belief forced on you, or there was no real structure for that, uh, you know, that part of it. What, when, when do you remember asking spiritual questions um. in your own heart and... Mind. Yeah, for me, it started at a pretty young age. Um, I don't know. I, I remember being in middle school, and I was always I was always fascinated with things outside of this world, right? So, like, what's going on out in the stars and stuff. And I remember actually one day, my mom had just got bought a first color printer. And I remember when you, if when printers first came out, the ink was incredibly expensive, and I'd printed all the different planets and like posted them up on my wall. <laughs> and my mom was so pissed because I used so much ink. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so from a very young age, I was very, very fascinating, fascinated with just, uh, otherworldly ideas. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I had a yearning for something spiritual, but I had no idea what it was. And at a young age, how can you really know? I think right. it's, um, but I think I was, in some sense, I was blessed that I didn't grow up in any sort of religious background. My grandma claimed to be Irish, Irish Catholic, but it was a pain just to get her out of the house. So she didn't really go to church or mass, which I think is a massive sin if you're Catholic. So... Not really sure how that works, but um, <laughs> yeah. So pretty young, um, and that's kind of where it all. I mean, from very young age, I was always questioning things otherworldly. Right. Then you hit high school. Um, you're just a punk high school kid. I was Go, in a punk rock band. Yeah. You were, yeah, yeah. and uh, went to Golden High. Um, and then you 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 go to Metro State. Mm-hmm. Um, any Roadrunners in here? Anybody? Like, couple, three, right. four. Right on. Um, you go to Metro State. You get your IT degree. Um, but you, you're, this spiritual yearning is happening, and you kind of begin uh, drawing into the Buddhist faith. Yes. Or drawing out of that. So tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Um, I remember the day that it started. Um, I think uh, my wife's back here. We were, uh, we were still dating, and we, we went to Borders Bookstore in, uh, at the Colorado Mills. So the mills had just opened. Um, and I sat down on a bench in the spiritual section, and I grabbed a book by this guy, my Kesha, uh, Geshe Kelsen Gyatso, who is a Tibetan Buddhist monk. Um, he wrote a book called The Joyful Path of Good Fortune. Uh, he just talked a lot about being unhappy and our attachment to things, and that creates this happiness. And I think with my rough kind of bring, upbringing and my lack of any sort of real fi- family dynamic, I had a lot of these attachments that I felt, and it just seemed to answer a lot of questions for me. Um, so at that point, I started going to uh, the new Kadampa Center, which is downtown. And I, it, we were just so happy to be living downtown. 
or actually no, we were living in Lakewood at the time, and I went to this uh, Buddhist monastery, had no idea that it was actually founded by the guy by the first, first book that I had read. And so it just seemed like everything fit, right? You know, it seemed like fate. Um, some, like God had placed me at this Buddhist center. I'm like, oh man, it's like Gesha Kelsing, he founded this, I found it randomly, this, this is perfect. Um, I spent about, I don't know, 10 plus years um, in the Buddhist faith, so much so that Aaron and I actually got married in Thailand and had like a traditional Buddhist ceremony. Yeah. Um, so I got pretty deep into it. And where'd you, where'd you and Aaron meet? High school. High school. Yeah. And so, so here he is. He's an entrepreneur, IT guy. You hadn't started your law degree yet, but you were into the Buddhist faith, and, and you're, you just seem exhausting, actually. Like, it, Aaron, is he exhausting? Where is Aaron? Yeah, okay. You just seem like, like nonstop thinking, going, moving. Yeah, yeah. I hate sitting still, for sure. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the things we love about you. But um, so here you are, you're, you're kind of searching, you're yearning, you, you actually dive into the Buddhist faith, you go to, you have your wedding in Thailand, yeah. and tell us about that second visit, you had a, another visit to Thailand that kind of yeah. started to begin to, you begin to question some of the deeper things. Yeah, so actually, so we went, we had, Aaron and I had been to Thailand once, um, and we went back. Now, if you're not familiar with Thailand, it's, it's an amazing place, I would really recommend you go, it's probably one of my favorite places in the world, but... Like 98% of the country is, is, is Buddhist. Um, and actually, I think it was when we went back for our wedding that I really started to see a lot of questions um, that I didn't seem to make a lot of sense. Again, because I, I didn't grow up in Thailand, so I didn't grow up with all these traditions and all these different things. But as you're walking around the city, you see spirit houses. Um, you see people going to what I would like to call like an, an Eastern church. Um, people praying to to Buddha or Siddhartha Gautama, and that's not what it was supposed to be. Um, I feel like if the Buddha came back today and were to see the Buddhist church, he'd be like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is, a, this is not at all, this is not at all what I had taught you. This is not at all a part of the, the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path. Like, what are you doing? Um, and I started to see that. But for me, what I saw is I did, Without being critical, I saw that people were yearning for something spiritual, right? It's people, people who aren't, people are praying to somebody who will not answer your prayers. Um, nowhere ever does the Buddha or Siddhartha Gautama, whatever you want to call him, never at any point does he say, please pray to me and I'll answer your prayers. Mm-hmm. We have millions of people every day wake up in Thailand and go to temple and pray to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it just showed that like there's this underlying spiritual connection that I feel like we, a lot of people have, and we can't explain, and we try to explain that um, through many different facets. And so, and then that led me on this journey where I was like, really, what is karma? Like, let's honestly think about karma. Um, like, think about the idea of karma. We have this, like, law that's somehow just, right? That's God, right? And it's so easy for me to walk down the street and be like, oh, that guy got bit by karma, but yet if I say, oh, that guy got bit by God because he was unjust, somehow that's wrong, right? right. Um, so I started to see these, like, this, like, weird disconnect, like, we're okay talking about karma and this idea of a just, just law, but if we actually put, like, a personal face on it, somehow then it becomes bad and unjust. Right. Um, and so in all that, I started digging in, really, really digging in. Um, yeah, so you came home wrestling with these inconsistencies. Yes. And then... Um, you begin to walk into, like, you kind of set it aside, right? You kind of set Buddhism aside, and you get busy yeah. with life, and then Easter shows up. Yeah. <laughs> what happened Easter morning? What was that, two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. Um, so I worked from home, and the only thing I got from my grandmother after she had died was her Bible. Um, I think this is in the video, so sorry, you guys. I wouldn't have to tell you this, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> And I'm sitting there, and I just had this, uh, I like to call it like a nudge. I don't know how else to describe it. Without sounding weird or super overly spiritual, or um, <laughs> I just had this nudge. And so I went over, and I grabbed my grandmother's Bible. It's like, I don't know, probably a week or so before Thanksgiving, or a week or so before, not Thanksgiving, that's next week, <laughs> Easter. Um, and I opened it up, and there was a bookmark. And the book, it was bookmarked 
on the on the bookmark, my grandma had written John 3:16. Everybody knows that. Thank you, Tim Tebow. Um, <laughs> but it was bookmarked to chap, Luke chapter Luke chapter 23, um, and it just talking about Jesus' resurrection. And so for me, this was just really weird. Um, again, this is a weird nudge, and I was like. Um, and then after all of the in-depth study and all of the things that I've looked at, it was kind of ironic because I look back and I'm like, really, God, like, if you're going to give me a sign, like, why'd you give me a sign of the New King James Version, right? <laughs> um, it's probably the worst Bible you could give anybody. I'm sorry if you really like it, but it's just the facts. <laughs> um, I'm with you. So you can write that email to CJ Latham at... I like it. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah, I like it. I'll take them. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where it all started. And then I just kind of had some questions. Um, I wasn't really sure. I then I really, I had, I had no skin in the game. Absolutely no skin in the game. And to be completely honest with you, I despised the church. Hmm. Um, and without, like, getting too in your face, I despised most of you. You know, I thought of the church as, like, something that was super hypocritical, something that um, people were, like, you know, I just like kind of all the general arguments. Like, what about the Crusades? What about this? So what about religion that does all these evil things? Like, I was that guy, you know? Um, so I had absolutely no skin in the game. But I was very skeptical. Um, and so I had a lot of questions. And, and so I just started kind of digging in and trying to answer questions on both sides of the argument. So I had... Right. I didn't care who came out the winner. I was just interested on arguments on both sides. This is why he's so exhausting. So it's just like, it's so great because he's just seeking and thinking and asking. And so you approach this whole uh, Christianity thing from a Jewish perspective, um, which is really, really, I think, very important. And what were you trying to answer? Um, Well, so the first thing I thought of is I'm like, well, Jesus was Jewish. And his name is actually Yeshua. I don't know if you know that. and his mother's name wasn't Mary, it was Miriam. So very, very Jewish. And so he was the original rabbi. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, if Jesus was the, the original Jew, like the OG Jew, that's for Gabe, wherever you are. Um, why, don't, why, don't Jews, <laughs> why, don't, uh, why don't Why don't Jews believe in Jesus? Why don't Jews believe that Yeshua was the Messiah? Um, and that was kind of my first question. And then I actually realized that there's actually this whole sect, and it's actually growing rather largely, and they're Messianic Jews is what they're called. And they're getting away from the idea of being Orthodox. Um, and there's a real big argument between the two as to whether there was an oral Torah that was given or if it was just a written Torah that was given to Moses as he came down. Um, but then I also understood that throughout the Old Testament, as I like really studied it and trying to look at, look at it from a Jewish perspective is that God kept saying, I'm calling you to be the light of the nations. And we see the people just failing and failing and failing and failing. Um, and it, a lot of times, I think some, some you know, people think, oh, well, the Jews were pick, picked because they were special. No, actually, God chose the Jews because they were weak, um, because they were kind of being picked on. Like, they were, everybody was bullying on the, on the Israelites. And so... Everything really just started to make sense. Um, as I started to look and understand how all the Old Testament prophets, a lot of them, the Israelites wanted to persecute and kill before they became considered a prophet. And so it just made sense. Um, and then who has become the biggest light to the world? I mean, 75% of our cities are named after Jesus or Yeshua in some form of another. And a lot of us, we don't realize that. Yeshua has had more impact on the world than any other man in history and really became a light to the nations. The one thing that God called the Israelites to be that they just couldn't be, and he kind of fulfilled that. And this rejection of the Jewish people in kind of the whole context of the way the world today is really just starting to make sense. Um, and so I really started to understand and unpack that whole idea, and so I kind of moved on. Yeah, so you but dive, I still have a lot of questions. You dive, yeah, you don't have it all figured out? So, uh, so that. Torah and the Tanakh and all these things, you, the deeper you go in them, the more you begin to go, wait a second. Yeah. This is actually pretty legit. Yeah. I think I heard a, um, a Bible scholar once say, I don't know, he's a, he's a mathematician as well. Um, anybody into mathematics here? 
probabilities. Oh, yeah, I okay. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Really um, so basically, the, the best analogy I heard for the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament was imagine you, enti- you covered the entire state of Texas in 12 inches of quarters. Every one of those quarters is turned tails up except for one, and that one quarter is heads up. Now imagine I put a blindfold on you and I told you to walk around Texas and find that one quarter. What's the probability that you're going to pick that quarter up? That's the probability that Jesus would fulfill these Old Testament um, prophecies. And a majority of them he didn't actually have control over. So it wasn't like his prophets could somehow kind of coerce and feel, you know, like, be like, oh, let's make you be born in Bethlehem, you know? Like, um, and you start to understand that, like, Nazareth was, Nazareth was like Detroit, you know? It was kind of like the armpit of the world. Sorry if you're from Detroit. It's kind of the way it is. Damn. Sorry. I'm going there in two weeks. Yeah. Um, but really not an important place. But all these things were really important. And, and so, yeah. It's C.J. Latham at... Um, <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. So then you back back up again because you're sitting here going, okay, I just, I just opened up a can of worms. Yeah. I opened up a can of worms to this whole Christian thing, and I don't know if I want to be a Christian. <laughs> and then, you're, and then you, so you start doing these reason logic thing. I mean, you get into your law degree, you start getting really excited about uh, arguments and structuring debates, and then you start really diving in, right, yeah. to debates. On the one side, you approach this really kind of, I don't have any skin in the game. On the one side, there's this Jewish Christian faith thing unfolding. On the other, it's like, what about non-theism? How do I really know? Yeah. Walk us through some of that conversation that you had um, in your mind and with many people. Yeah. So I wrote just down just a list of names in case you're interested. Um, some of the leading atheist scholars, I think, have some really good arguments that are really challenging. Um, Sam Harris, Dawkins, I'm sure many of you have heard of him. Uh, Hitchens. Both Hitchens brothers are actually kind of fascinating. One now was a theist. One isn't, mm-hmm. but the other actually recently died, kind of said. Um, Alan Turing, Alfred Kinsey, Peter Singer, Bart Ehrman, just a few. Bart Ehrman's actually really good, wrote a book called Jesus Interrupted. I really recommend you read it. Um, It's a great book. Um, And on the other side of the debate, you have guys like William Lane Craig, John Lennox, Ravi Zacharias, Michael Lyconia, Hugh Ross, Shabir Ali, um, and Nabil Qureshi. Um, Some really great people. So I just, hours and hours and hours and hours (laughs) of debate. the sad thing is, is I've kind of run out of material. Um, so if anybody know any of them, if they could upload some new videos to YouTube, it'd be great. I'd appreciate it. Um, and so as I started kind of going through this, eighth, so here's the thing. I feel like when it's really good, I feel like it's an amazing thing for anybody to walk down either side of that argument, mm. right? Don't be afraid. It's, there's, there's no, there's no problem. I mean, there's no, I think it's better for you to understand both sides regardless of which side you're on, but at least look at it honestly, right? Right. Um, And for me, I just realized I'm also a very political skeptic. Um, Cynic, I should say. I'm very cynical about politics. Um, And as I started to dig in, I started reading a lot of books by biologists and other people just on the naturalistic argument. Um, I just wrote down some of the huge holes for me that I felt couldn't be filled naturalistically. Um, If you want to talk more about them, He'll give you my email so you can complain to me as well or ask me some of these questions. Um, some of them I found, the evolution of timeline. Um, there's a problem that the universe is only a few billion years or a couple hundred billion years old. Um, if evolution in, in Darwin's idea was to be real, we should see a universe that's really quadrillions of years old. Um, that was the big, first big problem for me. Um, the second one is we have these massive destructive events. And actually the one that hit... In, is it Chichen, uh, in the Yucatan, Yucatan Peninsula that wiped out the dinosaurs? For me, what I saw is that we have this massive, 75% of the, the life on Earth is destroyed. But less than one million years later, we have a massive re-speciation event. Massive. So if we're looking at an evolutionary timeline, there's no way that in less than a million years, we can have the amount of species repopulate the planet after 75% of the world was just wiped out. Um, the second thing, for, uh, another one was um, the irre- irreducibl- irreducibly complex argument. Um, I've sp- and if anybody has any great articles on this, I would really love to read it or love to see it. So um, the idea of the bacteria flagellum. Anybody a biologist? You're a biologist? 
Oh, okay. Anyways, there's a little, bacteria have this little motor, and it's like this little tail that whips around. And the idea is that there are so many moving pieces to this tail and so many items that go into making this motor run, but we don't have a solid answer on how that thing, how it would have evolved. It's irreducibly complex. Now, I've spent hours and hours and hours trying to find a good evolutionary explanation for it, and I haven't yet. So if anybody has anyone, I would love to read it. I would love to see it. Um, I would love to know it. I'm still trying to find that one, but yet I haven't found one. Um, what we also see in an evolutionary timeline is that the Earth is more like a field of grass, right? Not a tree of life. Um, so we see that we see, evolu we see evolution events coming up in different species, right? Um, anybody know? Anybody know today what we consider a speciation speciation event? What defines a new species? Anybody? Yeah, you guys thought you were going to get church. <laughs> You're getting um, science. So sometimes I feel like I, I feel like humanity as a whole. Sometimes we will take things and kind of dumb them down. Like with diets, like we consider diets to be really successful if you lose at least 10% of your body weight for any amount of time. So if you get sick and lose, lose 10% of your body good weight, diet. it's a good diet. Yeah. And, that's, and that's honestly what the World Health Organization and some of these other things do. And I feel like we, do some of, we, do, we take the same approach to other things. And the same thing goes with speciation. We've never witnessed an actual speciation event. So we've never actually witnessed one animal change into another. Right? There's some... In the, in the fossil record, we have some gaps that are filled, but there's still massive gaps that we can't fill. But what we do see is like, and the biggest argument is the flies in Hawaii, because a speciation event today is now defined when they can no longer breed. So these flies in Hawaii will get these mutations and they will evolve and they can no longer breed. But a fly is still a fly, is still a fly, right? That fly didn't turn into a lizard. That fly didn't turn into a bee, right? Um, so that's one thing. And so what we see is, that really there isn't this tree of life, but more life is kind of like a field of grass. And we're all part of a different blade. And we will have changes and we will have, we will grow and we will evolve, but individually, not collectively. Um, and then the whole idea of uh, the whole primordial soup. Um, I mean, the idea is that like a lightning bolt struck this bowl of primordial soup and that somehow created life. Give me a break, right? <laughs> Um, and it's ridiculous. And, and what we find now is that biologists now, they cannot explain the primordial soup. We've spent millions and millions of research dollars trying to recreate life just out of raw proteins and amino acids and trying to bind these things together in a super controlled lab, and we haven't been able to do it. Not to say that at some point we won't, but you know what the biggest key to that is? Is there's a smart person on the other side controlling all of that environment. So think about that, right? Um, so you take these, I mean, here's the journey. Let's just recap. Um, no spiritual foundation, Buddhism, Jewish Christian thought, then pull back, go from the atheist angle, the non-theist angle, looking through science, the lens of science, not science just in science, but scienceism, which is a whole different ballgame. And then you actually come to a spot where you have a second moment. The first moment you had was grandma's Bible on the shelf. Yeah. Maybe I should look at that. Yeah. I don't know why I'm looking at this. Um, the second moment you have is nuclear fusion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so nuclear fusion brought me to God. It's weird. <laughs> um, I don't know. Anybody get the Daily Galaxy feed? See, I told you he was exhausting. <laughs> the Daily Galaxy feed. So you can get this thing. It's Daily, Daily Galaxy. And they kind of skim through all the most recent astrophysics articles and stuff and kind of present the ones that are kind of coolest. And you can kind of read through them. Um, it's like some of you get like a verse of the day. It's my daily galaxy. Hey <laughs> um, yeah, so we won't talk about the Hig Higgs boson because I promised Aaron I wouldn't bore you guys to death with the Higgs boson. It's later. There's a group meeting. Um, Let's talk about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, awesome. All right. I like it. Um, so, yeah, so the Hoyle state of carbon. So carbon-12 is a really important part of life. Um, you're all made of carbon-12. Without carbon-12, life wouldn't be here. Um, and does anybody know where we get carbon-12? Cereal box? Well, I gave you a hint earlier. It's in nuclear fusion in the sun okay. and the stars. Okay. <laughs> um, so the Hoyle state of carbon has to be exactly 379 keV, or 379,000 electron volts. 
The reason that's important, and the reason that has to be exactly 379,000 electron volts, is that if it was any higher, the sun would burn up too much helium too quick, and it would create too heavy of a carbon to sustain life. But if it did it any slower, or at a rate any slower, we wouldn't create oxygen. We all know how important oxygen is. So it has to be 379 keV. Now the reason that this is fascinating is because at the same time I was kind of going through this whole Jewish Yeshua thing and looking at the importance of just certain things that were written in scripture, like three, seven, the numbers three and seven. And so I remember laying in bed with my phone and I'm reading the Daily Galaxy feed and I look at Aaron and I was like, oh my God, mind blown. 379 electron volts, right? Um, and then I think, you know, Erin thought I was, like, wasted, because she's like, are you wasted? Because uh, now I'm trying to add the numbers up, and I'm like, does it equal 21? Is it perfectly divisible by 7? Is it perfectly <laughs> divisible by 3? Um, but it was just, like, kind of that moment that I was just like, wow, like, 3 and 7 are God's perfect numbers. And here's just, here's one of about 800 different examples I could give you in the, what we call the fine-tuning argument um, that has to be perfect. It has to be perfect or none of us exist. Hmm. So we go about our day, daily lives every day, but without the sun mo- working in exactly 379,000 electron volts, we don't exist. Hmm. And it was like that number, and it just blew my mind. Yeah. So Grandma's Bible, nuclear fusion, yeah. working together. Yeah. You walk and you step into this world of faith that is not like you've got everything figured out. Nothing's like... You still have questions. Mm-hmm. You're still searching. You're still seeking. You're still wondering. What would you say? That, I mean, there's a number of people in this room that, that are just dear friends, and they're just not there. They're just like faith has eluded them for many years. They've, they may have been burned by the Christian thing, kind of like you talked about earlier, or they're wondering, they're frustrated. Uh, what would you say to someone who's kind of in that spot? Um, I understand. I feel like I'm still waiting for my big... God moment, you know? Um, you know, Mark, if you were here a couple weeks ago, talked about, like, he just, he just be like... like the loudest phone I've ever heard. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, thanks, Dennis. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Glad you're here. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good. Get back to it. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, but I feel like Mark, you know, like, Mark talks and talked about having, like, this big presence of God in his life and uh, this, uh, this big kind of knock you on your on your butt moment with just like the presence of God. I'm not there. I know a lot of random information that probably doesn't really make a difference, but I, I, I totally understand. Hmm. Um, and I feel, it, you know, and like when I said, when I would sit down with Ryan and ask him all these questions and um, he just kept telling me, you know, let go, let go. I'm like, dude, I'm letting go, man. I've let go years ago. You know, like, if this God thing is real, why doesn't God just jump out of the sky and be like, yo, dude, what's up? I'm here. You know, what's up? Um, but then I, I found is like, the more I just kind of, I, I wasn't letting go. I was holding on to a lot of different ideas and looking in specific places rather than just allowing God to reveal himself to me. Um, you know, a lot of people that I've talked with before when they've asked me about this, you know, they're like, oh, I want, where's my miracle? If you want a miracle, walk out at night and just look at the moon. It's an absolute miracle that the moon even exists. Hmm. Um, and there are many things that you can do in life to just see these miracles. And so that was just kind of it for me. I just kind of had to sit back and really marvel at the miracle of life. Yeah. And then a number of people have kind of walked away. They, I mean, they, have, they have some thoughts about they grew up doing the church thing or whatever. And then they're like, well, wait a second. I feel like now I'm questioning the things that I learned before and some of these Bible stories and how it all came together. And there's all that stuff, which is obviously a bigger question, but what would you say to them who were just spent years believing, but now are frustrated? It's good. Um, It's really good to question. (laughs) I feel most people don't question enough. Um, but, But when you question, I have a question for you. Are you a skeptic or are you a cynic? Because it's, it's an important differ, differentiation, right? Uh, whatever the heck that word is. Difference. Yeah, it's an, it's an important difference. 
A skeptic is somebody who is skeptical about the response that they've given, but they're honestly willing to look at the evidence on both sides of the argument, and then make a reasonable conclusion from that. A skeptic say, or a cynic says, I don't care how much evidence you show me, I'm still not going to believe the facts that you're, you're providing to me. And most people that I've talked to are like diehard atheists, because to be honest with you, I didn't really make a lot of church friends until I started coming here. So all of my really close <laughs> friends are atheists. Um, or agnostics. Um, and what you find is there's actually a heart issue there. It's not necessarily a facts issue or an evidence issue. It's a heart issue. So um, any lawyers here? No lawyers, really. No biologists. Wow. No lawyers. It's a good group. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a church. I like it. <laughs> um, okay, so as you're preparing to take the bar exam, you, I'm going to give you a brief little listen in law here. So, and I feel like this is something that all kids should learn. Um, but as you're preparing to take the bar exam, they give you what we call the IRAC rule. And not the country, but it's I-R-A-C. So you look, at, you look at the issue. What is the issue that you're being presented? What are the rules that govern that issue? How do I take the facts that I know and apply them to those rules? And then what reasonable conclusion can I, can I come to? And so that was kind of the approach I've taken throughout this entire journey. Um, what's the issue being presented? What are the rules that govern it? How do I apply those rules to the facts that I know? And then we can reasonably, um, and then what reasonable conclusions can I come to? Be a skeptic, don't be a cynic, right? Um, I guess that would just be my biggest thing. Don't be afraid to ask questions um, too far. Uh, too much, I think we're we're afraid to ask questions, but ask them, but ask them honestly. Yeah. And now that you've got, uh, you know, a lot of people would think you're think, well, CJ's just got it all figured out. He's answered all the questions. Um, what now? Um, I asked you the other day, what now? And I think that there's a lot still kind of room working around in you as far as that goes. But a lot of people ask, okay, so like some people have this idea that, okay, I figured out who God is, like you finished a, like a game of Zelda, like you've solved Zelda, you know, now what? Well, you just go to a boring church service every week and, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that really what it is? No, <laughs> no. Um, and for a lot of you, a lot of you guys are like, I see this guy randomly at church. Um, I, don't think, I don't think a relationship with God is based on church. Hmm. And to be honest with you, I hate the idea of just sitting in a chair and being preached to, so I feel sorry for all of you that are just having to right. let me spew on you. I'm going to write an email. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm a very interactive person, right? I love, to go, I love to go to, like, the pub chats. I love to go to things where I can really push my mind and really have an honest conversation with people and really dig into things. Um, so, no, I don't think now that I'm still a skeptic mm. by all means. I still have a lot of questions. Mm. But that doesn't mean, you know, it's, yeah, read hundreds of books and I've done all this whatever um, it's still I feel like the hardest part for me now is as I've kind of walked down this as I looked at both sides of the argument and I decided I can't honestly ignore the evidence that I was presented the hardest thing for me now is open, being open about my faith in Christ or Yeshua mm -hmm. when I was Buddhist I could walk down the street and be like, people would look at my tattoos and be like oh what's that dude I'm like oh I'm Buddhist and they're like awesome tell me about it you know, that's great. What does that mean? You know, can I come to your Buddhist church service? But now if people ask me about a new tattoo I got of Christ, I'm weird. Right? Get out of here. You know, they're, they're afraid. So being, being Christian isn't cool. Being Buddhist is cool. So I didn't choose this path because it was cool or because somebody kind of like, you know, like, this is what you got to do. Um... I think that's, that's, my, that's my biggest problem. I think we all yearn for acceptance mm -hmm. every day. And when you decide to make a decision that goes against what the rest of the world outside of this building feel or think, it makes it really difficult. I feel like that's my biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I've run out of material on YouTube and good books to read. I told you, you're exhausting. You're exhausting YouTube. Yeah. Hey, we just want to real quick. I mean, this is uh, this is different than some of the other interviews, but uh, you might be sitting here and you want to ask CJ a question. And you thought to yourself, well, I'm going to do it afterwards. 
you know, over lunch, but what if you just did it now? Like, if you have a question, like an honest a question, anything, like he, this is his, him saying I, he wants yeah, a yeah. question. So if you have something that's just stirring in you and you want to ask it, man, this is free, free to do so. Be brave. Yeah. Good, good. You know, I said I wanted the tough ones, and that's a tough one. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, and I'm gonna blame Erin too because she's like, speak from the heart. You know, I'm like, no, nah, I can speak from the head, but I can't speak from the heart. Um, the heart, the heart piece is is hard. Um, because I'm still very much a skeptical on the heart piece, right? Like Elliot. In the band, you guys are amazing musicians, but I hate the songs, right? And, and I'm not saying I hate the songs because they're terrible, but I, it's just like it's hard for me to like be like sing, got sing and pray yeah, to God right. and, and be all emotional about it. It's hard. Hmm. Um, and hate's a really strong word, so I shouldn't really say that word. I dislike the song part. <laughs> um, but the heart's still building, you know? Mm. The heart's still growing. And I, think it, I don't think it will ever, will ever stop. Um, I have my fleeting moments. I have little things that I feel like really open me up. Like on my way here, I had a really big question in my mind. And I feel like that question was given to me. And I feel like my heart kind of flowered a little bit there. And we kind of like opened up. Mm. And I feel like maybe somebody's got my back. Because mm. as I grew up, I feel like I didn't have that. Mm. Um, so it's growing. But I don't where it's at, I can't, I can't answer that honestly. I don't know. Right. But that's okay. Any other questions out there? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so like kind maybe, of... Maybe let me restate it yeah. so it's on the, the podcast. Yeah. So this idea that, that, yeah, there may be a creative force, but why Yeshua? Why why God? Right. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on what angle you want to come at it from. I think in science now, we've... Um, like Stephen Hawking's book, The Brief History of Time. Anybody read it? It's a good book. It's one of his first books. But at the end, he basically talks about you know, if we could understand the causal agent that started this whole thing would be to understand the mind of God, right? So I feel like in science today, in physics, it's not a question of whether there was a causal agent that started this whole thing, but whether that causal agent is personal or it's just some sort of random random creation. My biz- I think there's a great story that I heard once. If, if God is impersonal... Um, I th- and I really think it's twofold because the first question is, is, is it a personal God? And then why do I feel like that that personal God is actually the God of the Bible, the Christian Bible? So the first piece I feel like, um, I feel like the evidence that we have today scientifically, so independent of what we read in Scripture. Imagine I walked into a printing press, right? I have all the letters that I ever would need to make an amazing novel. If I blew that printing press up, right, threw a stick of dynamite in there and just blew the thing up, What's the probability that I'm going to get a work of Shakespeare? Think about it. Right? So I feel like there's just everything for me, right? And it may be different for other people. But we can see that the world, the universe is so fine-tuned, right? There are so many pieces involved. And a lot of people think, oh, well, the universe is so big, it's just a waste of space. Actually, it's not. If the universe wasn't the size it was and expanding the exact rate that it is today, life wouldn't exist. Okay? And we're looking for other planets, right? We're looking for life outside of this world. But the more we search, the more we realize how hard it is to find a planet that can actually sustain life. So I'm super excited. They're actually about to release a new satellite that's going to replace Hubble. Mm-hmm. It should be done in the next year or so. I'm super excited for this because we should see some really cool things. But even today, what we're looking at with Hubble, we know that's really, really hard. Um, our models, um, just, just on the planetary level, when we look at models, um, our solar system just doesn't happen, right? It just doesn't happen. Even with the moon, it just doesn't happen. So that's why I feel it's a personal agent. I f- and I feel like at our very core, language is what creates each one of us. Um, Francis Collins was a, worked on the Human Genome Project and helped develop the first human genome sequence. 
Each one of you are made of over a billion different letters that were perfectly written and coded for you. Right? So at our core, language builds us. Right? So that's why I feel like God is a personal agent. Um, one of many. I think for me, that's just the biggest piece. The second piece of why I think it's God, the God of the Bible is the, re- the historical evidence to back the resurrection of Christ. Um, really the only, the biggest, I'll just give you the other side of the argument. The biggest arguments today to go against the idea that Christ actually rise from the dead is that all the people hallucinated. So nobody questions the historical accuracy. I mean, there's still people who question the historical accuracy of the Bible. It's about 25% of scholars. So a majority of biblical scholars and a majority of historical scholars today, now when they debate the resurrection, the biggest thing is hallucinations. But if we look at all the medical evidence that gives people group hallucinations or independent <laughs> hallucinations, it doesn't support these things. Um, I can't remember. I should have made a note, but I didn't know you were going to ask this. Um, but there is a disease where you can actually hallucinate. But your personality type makes you very reclusive. It makes you hate people. It makes you distrust people, right? But yet we had people who had group hallucinations and hallucinations together. So it, it just doesn't fit. The pieces don't fit. For me, I feel it's the historical evidence for the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. Um, and I spent a lot of time researching the other religions, and they just, I, there's a lot of holes for me personally. Right. So let me just do this. I mean, I know some of you have some more questions, and we we, we got a lunch to have. Right? All right, I like it. You like lunch? I do. And CJ is going to be around, and um, but uh, let me just pray for you, and then we'll just continue on. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks for letting me see you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> God, thank you so much for Clint and his journey, um, his mind, and his asking and questioning. And God, we're just so thankful for the journey you have him on. It's not, it's not done now. It's not finished up, and it's not like he's going to coast the rest of his life. But God, you've created him with a mind that seeks and wonders, and may it be a mind that continues to see you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I just have a couple of follow-up things. And um, you're like, oh, great. He's going to talk now. Just a couple of follow-up things. I think what's really awesome about CJ and his, his mind and his, the moments in his life, Grandma's Bible, nuclear fusion, those moments, and I think some of those moments are moments that many of us have had, you know, those moments where we yearn and we itch and we think and we, that thing that we can't shake, you know, the things that happen on our, might happen on your worst day or your best day or an ordinary day. Uh, maybe it was a conversation or a sunset or a song lyric or something that stirred in you. Third authors is a guy named Francis Spufford. He's a British author. He mainly writes fantasy work, but he took a stab at apologetics, which I thought was awesome. He wrote this book just about his experience about coming to know Yeshua. And he talks about this moment. Listen to this. He says, someone, not something, is here. Though it's on a scale that defeats imagining and exists exists without location, I feel what I feel when there's someone beside me. I am being looked at. I am being known, known in some wholly accurate and complete way that is only possible when the point of view is not another local self in the world, but glows in the whole medium of uh, I live and I move. He says, I am being seen from the inside, but without any of my own illusions. I'm being seen from behind, from beneath, from beyond. I am being read by what I am made of. It's just this powerful, just, you can't really put it into language, the things that we feel and we experience when God is closing in. And I think about Thomas, the, the disciple, one of the close members of the gang of 12 that Jesus followed Jesus around. And these men left their jobs and they left their families and they left their towns to follow really a homeless itinerant preacher. 
followed him around. And he was a miracle worker. And during this time of real thick Roman oppression and really loud religious rules being shouted, the kind of rules that said you were inside or you were outside, that you were apart or you were doomed. And this miracle worker, this Jesus was right when he said that he would end up dying at the hands of not just the Romans, but the religious. And he also said that death would not be the end. And so there's a little story about Thomas. Uh, The group of disciples, it says in the account of John, that they actually ran into Jesus. And Thomas wasn't with them. And in verse 24 of this book that John wrote, Chapter 19, verse, or sorry, 20, verse 24, it says, uh, Now Thomas, also Didymus, one of the twelve, was, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. You know, for some reason he was doing something else, and he missed the Jesus sighting. And in verse 25 it says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand inside of his side, I will not believe. Basically, Thomas said, here's my parameters. Here's my belief parameters. They have to be met. Um, I need to experience what you experienced. I need to see what you saw. I need a moment. Something that cannot be completely explained if I was to tell it to somebody else. I need to encounter with this resurrected Jesus if I'm going to believe. I have to see him. I need a moment. And this, is the, this next verse is great. It starts off like this. It says, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. So a whole week goes by. And you can imagine for a week, the rest of the guys were like, dude, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my, my version of events. And I'm, sh- I'm sure this conversation just kept coming up, right? And Thomas is like, okay, well, what did you see, Peter? Okay, what did you see, James? And, and there's just this thing that's happening all around him. And each one of them most likely takes their turn trying to convince Thomas of what they saw, but he's got his parameters. And you can respect the parameters, right? And there was enough that made him curious that he stuck around. And also enough to keep, you know, him thinking about us. And so here's how this continues. The doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas, he wasn't the only one that had a moment. In scripture, we see it all the time. There was this guy named Zacchaeus, and he had a lot of money, but he had no fame, right? No one really liked him. And, and, and there was something about this Jesus when he walked into town that he had, to, he had to figure out for himself. He had his own parameters. You had a guy named Nicodemus who was a re- religious guy. A re- he, he was a top of the religious, you know, you know dog pile, is Nicodemus. You have a Samaritan woman who has her moment, and her life was one mistake after another. You have a leper who's on the outside. We talked about this guy uh, a couple weeks back who's welcomed. You have a demon-possessed guy who's given peace and a purpose. And this same power behind the desire for Zacchaeus to go up a tree and look at Jesus. The same power behind Nicodemus wanting to have a secret meeting with Jesus. The same power behind the woman at the well with her questions and her protests. The same power behind the leper who boldly asks a religious rabbi for healing, and the same power behind a demon-possessed man to approach Jesus is the same power, actually, the exact same power that restored them. That's the same thing. And, and, and you could go, well, prove it. Well, I can't. It's their moment. I can tell you when I met Jesus. But that's just my moment. See, we want to believe something. We want to believe something. We have qualifications on it. We have qualifications like, hey, I want to believe something, but I don't want it to just be something that makes me feel better about myself because that's really just self-fulfilling. 
I want to have some sort of structure to it. It has to have some sort of a narrative to it, an explanation to it. It's got to give hints to, at least hints to answers as to why things are the way they are and where things are going. And if that is real, then maybe I'll consider it. But as you heard from Clint, it's in, in, and probably in the story of Thomas here, it's not just completely about what if it's true. It's actually what becomes of me if it is, right? Because if it's true, I can, I can you know, it, it, but it, something's gonna, something would change in me if this was actually true. We've told the story of, uh, oh, what's the, what's the guy the old guy that used to do news talk. I mean, he used to question people. No. No, not that guy. What's the guy's name? CNN. Was it CNN? Old guy, real cranky. He used to question people all the time. Anyhow, here's what he said. He said, listen, if you could ask, if I could have any question answered in my life, what would I have answered? He goes, if the virgin birth actually happened. Because if the virgin birth actually happened, that would change everything. Literally change everything. But some people ask, do I have to become some kind of a religious nutbag then if I believe this stuff? Don't worry, we're not going to let you do that around here. We, uh, we have an aversion to religious nutbags. It's part of our constitution. Um, but this Jesus-following life is actually a really pretty impossible thing, if you haven't tried to figure it out. Um, instead of asking for specific actions and moral things to do, Jesus talks about giving your possessions away and not defending yourself and behaving like there's a future ahead and loving strangers as much as your own family, and manifesting in your ordinary life a kind of uncalculating generosity. And we sometimes forget that we hold on to this extraordinary promise as people who follow Jesus. And we get complacent like anybody else. We settle for little things, repetition, and just going to religious services and things like that. But this, this extraordinary promise is something bigger. It's it's about a moment that somebody enters the world and enters us, and, and everything after that is different. And so I don't know where you're at today. We just wanted to let you know this, that one of our uh, values around here is this. We value the tension and mystery inherent in faith. And we look for God to move in often surprising ways. And as you can see from Clint, God has God will. And so I promise you, we, don't, we won't always make sense around here. And you're welcome to be here. And you're welcome to uh, ask questions and struggle and doubt and wrestle and wonder and all of those things. And maybe, just maybe, you'll discover Jesus. Maybe you will. And not the caricature version of Jesus that maybe you have in your mind, but the real resurrected Jesus. That's our prayer. And that's what we want to say to you on our fifth birthday.